the things that we sing about in worship, the things that, um, the thoughts that fill our minds during prayer as we worship, the very important words and discussions that we have during Bible study, uh, during worship, the sacred meaning of the Lord's Supper that we participate in in worship. These are meant to be lived out in daily life, in our everyday life. Notice a little verse uh, with me in Titus 2 and verse 10. Titus 2 and verse 10. Where there Paul says, showing all faith, showing all faith, that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. God has gone to great depths of love to bring salvation to us through our Lord. And that is to mean so much to us that we would live out His ways every day in everything that we do. So notice the statement again. Showing all faith that in everything, in all things, you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 16, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And that is very similar to what Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 15, that as children of God, children of God without blemish in this dark and perverse generation, this dark and perverse world, that we should shine as lights in this world, Paul says. We shine as lights in this world, holding forth the word of life. We hold this forth every day. Every day. I want us to emphasize this together this morning by noticing some common sayings that we have heard over uh, the years. Clichés, if you will. Common sayings that are connected to living for Christ. This is the ideal uh, this morning. Common sayings that are connected to living uh, for Christ. We'll notice several of these, and hopefully it is our prayer that this can build us up and motivate us and can keep us on the path of living out the doctrine of Jesus every day in our lives. Saying number one is, uh, put your hand to the plow. Put your hand to the plow. This This is familiar to us because Jesus said something similar to this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. But we know what this means. Anybody would know what this means. Put your hand to the plow means to go to work. And here it means to go to work in a certain way. It means to do a certain type of work, which is, of course, um, plowing the ground and sowing uh, the seed, planting the seed. And this, of course, uh, connects real well, real plainly 
and simply to living for Christ because the seed is the Word of God, Luke 8, 11, and 12. The seed is the Word of God. And a big part of what we do is uh, sow the seed of the Word in the hearts of anybody who might uh, listen. But Jesus' point here is that that sowing of the seed can, um, can go astray. Notice what he says in Luke nine sixty two. He says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's that looking back that Jesus is concerned with. And you can see it in your mind. If you're pushing a plow, or if you're plowing a row, and you keep looking back, then it's, it's going to go bad. You're going to have a crooked row. Crooked row. Now, spiritually speaking, let's think of quickly of a few ways in which our way our paths can go crooked. Our efforts can go crooked. Okay. Jesus warned about looking back. If, if we're not knowledgeable of the Word of God, then our paths can be crooked. Isaiah 59 verse 8 says, The way of the wicked is crooked, and they do not know any peace. And so if we are not knowledgeable of the ways of God, then we're not going to be able to sow uh, the seed. We won't be able to put our hand to the plow. Also, indecision. This is really what Jesus was dealing here with. Not only ignorance, but uh, indecision. Indecision can make our way go crooked. Because, you know, these men coming to Jesus here in Luke 9, they were saying to him, Lord, I will follow you, but... Luke 9, 57 through 62, that's the, that's the going trend uh, coming to Jesus. I will follow you, but let me first go bury my father. Let me go first go to my household and, and tell them all about it. And Jesus was very, very concerned about this indecision. And then regret can be another thing that can cause our ways to go crooked. Looking back, looking back, you know, when you become a Christian, you are leaving the ways of the world. And you are making a commitment to Christ. Sometimes people have a longing to go back to the ways of the world. Or more popular is trying to do the ways of Christ and the ways of the world. It just doesn't work. Our, our path will go crooked at that point. Sometimes uh, Christians look back with doubt. They don't really feel. They don't really believe. Even though they have gone through the process of believing in Jesus and turning from sin, confessing faith in Jesus and being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins, yet they have a doubt that their sins are really forgiven. So they keep looking back and saying, am I really forgiven? A person who doubts will never sow any seed for the Lord. And so doubt, so ignorance and indecision, regret and doubt can all make our ways go crooked and so can pride sometimes people looking back will say well I have done this for the Lord look what I have done for the Lord I've always done this for the Lord I've always been here for the Lord and so with pride they kind of rest upon uh, past um, success or, or past things that they think they have accomplished for the Lord and that person also will not so much seed for the Lord so first common saying that can help us live out 
the doctrine of Jesus every day is to remember to put your hand to the plow. We remember Paul's words in Philippians 3.13. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which lie behind and straining forward to the things which lie ahead. We must put our hand uh, to the plow. The next uh, saying I want us to uh, see is uh, to put your nose to the grindstone. Put your nose to the grindstone. This, this refers to doing things that are unpleasant. The Christian life is full of those things. This refers to doing things that are not so pleasant. This actual phrase goes back to some of the days of the settlers, early settlers of this country, and where they would, um, the manner in which they would sharpen their knives. They would have a grindstone. They would, they would find a way to get that grindstone turning faster and faster, and they'd take their knives and, um, and their axes and so forth, and they would try to sharpen it on a turning grindstone, and they would, they would take their nose or their face and get closer and closer to the action because they wanted to make sure they were getting it sharp on both sides. But it was very unpleasant, very unpleasant. And there are unpleasant tasks in living for Christ. Think about the task that lay before Jesus. Think about Jesus being in that garden. Why is it that he is praying so earnestly? Why is it that his, that his soul is troubled? I believe that's what, says, that's what is said of Jesus in Matthew 26 and 39. It says his soul is exceedingly sorrowful, exceedingly troubled. Why? Because there was an unpleasant task laying before him. The cross itself was unpleasant, of course, uh, for Jesus. And there are things that we do for Christ that are not so pleasant but must be done. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, there are enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, I tell you this, even weeping, it's not pleasant. It wasn't joyful at all for Paul to have to go in and say, some of you are living against Christ. But it's, these are tasks that are unpleasant. Let me name a few specifically that might be unpleasant but must be done. Obeying the gospel itself. That decision and the putting off of that decision and the struggling of that decision can be unpleasant. But it is something that must be done. It is, it is a process that must be worked through by every uh, individual. I've related this before, but I, one time there was a man during preaching and I was standing about where I'm standing now and he was standing during the invitation song on the very back row. And I could see it. He was holding on to the back of the pew with his hands so tightly that his, his knuckles were white. And at the last verse of the invitation song, here he come. Here he comes. Scared me half to death. Uh, but I was watching his knuckles. All of a sudden, he just released. He released himself from that pew. And here he come uh, down the road. It, it, just obeying the gospel can be un, unpleasant in that sense. Confessing sin, confessing sin can be unpleasant. To admit that we are wrong before the Lord, to humble ourselves, that can be unpleasant. And also changing, changing, changing our ways. The gospel is, is calling us to change, to come out of our sin, to come out of our old ways and put on the new man in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse, 
verse 10, to put on that new creature, uh, change can be unpleasant. Serving the Lord doesn't always have great tasks behind it. I know we speak often, and the Bible teaches this, that that we all are endowed with different gifts and different abilities, and we take those and use those for the Lord. That's easy. But we never should go in that direction so far to say that the unpleasant tasks are for somebody else. Okay. The, the means and the task of living and working for Christ are things that must get done. No matter who gets them done, we are servants of the Lord. And a servant does for the master what must be done, whether it be pleasant or unpleasant. The approach that we must take to people, the very approach, the very going to people and sharing with them this gospel and and explaining that, that most likely the things they have been taught about religion is not particularly correct, that is unpleasant. There's Nobody cherishes having to tell someone, show someone, but it's something that must be done. It must be done. And so put your nose to the grindstone refers to unpleasant uh, tasks. And then the next statement I would like to bring up is to put your ear to the ground. This refers back to the Native Americans who were literally could put their ears to the ground, the Indians, and they could hear uh, buffalo coming or wild horses uh, coming their way. They would put their ear to the ground. In a similar way, Christians are to have open ears. Open ears. I refer you to Acts chapter 11 for just a second, verse 19 and onward. Acts 11 and verse 19. Many of, many of the Christians who were scattered, uh, chased from their homes during the persecution of the time of Stephen, they came as far as Antioch and, and Cyrene and, uh, and some of those other places in the, in the Grecian territories. And they preached the Lord Jesus and many in Antioch, they heard the word and they, they believed in the Lord and they turned to him. Now it says there in Acts 11, 19 to 24, it says that the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas. But I want you to notice that. It came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They had their ears, as it were, to the ground. We are to have our ears open to things that we can participate in which is good for the cause of Jesus Christ. We are to have our ears open to the possibilities of getting involved in more and more good works for the glory of our Lord. This is what's happening. So they sent Barnabas. Not, Barnabas was not sent to oversee that work. He wasn't, over, he wasn't sent to analyze that work. He wasn't sent there to criticize. When he got there, he saw the grace of God. And he rejoiced. He was glad. And then he got involved. He encouraged them that with purpose of heart, they would all cleave to the Lord. He just rolled up his sleeves and went there to help. He went there to help. He went there to encourage. And so in that sense, we are to have our ears 
to the ground. It just means to be aware. This is a phrase that simply means to be aware. Our, our Native Americans, they, were, they had to be because of the danger of life in those days. They had to be aware of what was taking place around them. So the phrase become popular, have, keep your ear to the ground. No, we're just not aware. No, just not aware. We are to be uh, particularly aware of those around us, of, of souls that need to be nourished, of souls that need to be saved. Uh, we, we must be aware. We must be aware. We were in our uh, class uh, with our youth this morning talking about John 4. And Jesus was talking to a lady at, at Jacob's well, a woman of Samaria. Uh, Jesus' disciples have been away. Uh, to uh, get some food. And um, they came back and saw Jesus talking to a woman, talking to a woman of Samaria, of all things, and Jesus began to say to, uh, to his disciples, you know, you need to lift up your eyes and look upon the fields, John 4, 35. They're already wide in the harvest. It very well could be that as they literally lifted up their eyes, they would have seen Samaritans coming out of their villages to Jesus because this woman had left her water pot and she had gone to tell people about who she had discovered. And so instead of being so focused on food, so focused on your everyday life, Jesus is telling the disciples, lift up your eyes, become aware of people around you. They need me, the Lord is saying. They, they need uh, salvation. Put your ear uh, to the ground. Next statement we want to bring up is put your mind in gear. I heard this a thousand times when I was little. Now, I am a proponent of daydreaming. I am. I, I love to daydream. I love to daydream. I got through many sermons when I was little by daydreaming. I did. I sat right back there, right where Beth and Brent are. That was my place on the left side of the auditorium. That was my place, sat right there by my dad. And I daydreamed. I made a lot of famous plays on the baseball field on that pew next to the back on the left side of the auditorium when I was little. I loved to daydream. We ought to daydream, but not during worship. Not during worship. And I got, as they used to say it, I got the, um, well, they would pinch the plug out of me. When they knew I was just daydreaming. I learned that when you're in worship, uh, you put your mind in gear. You are to be involved. You have your Bibles open. You have your songbook open. You are bowing when you pray. Put your mind in gear. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 1 and 13. Gird up the loins of your mind and be ready to go to action. Okay. Put your mind in gear and be ready to go to action. Especially in worship. Especially in worship, we notice often the words of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 11 when Paul speaks of the Lord's Supper. He said, so let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Our mind must be in gear uh, in worship. We sing from the heart. We sing with thanksgiving in our heart. We study together. We pray together. We sing together. We are in gear. Our minds must be in gear as we worship same thing, we, if our minds are not in gear, uh, we will not ever serve the Lord. I think about those days of Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And there's a statement that 
that ought to be underlined in all of our Bibles. Nehemiah 4 and verse 6. Nehemiah 4 and verse 6. Uh, Nehemiah says, So we built the wall. And in no time flat, about half of it was, was built because the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. That made all the difference in the world. That's how they were able to get that done in 52 days. People had a mind to work. They trusted in God first, but then they had a mind uh, to work. Our, our minds must be in gear. In worship, in our service, but also just in our thinking. In our thinking. I'm very concerned about our thinking. How, how we think. And, and how that the, the Word of God must direct our thoughts in everything uh, that we do. And Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, notice this, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. I don't watch these shows. I, I see that people watch these shows. I hear people talk about watching these shows, but it's, it's these renovation shows where... And I don't even know what channel it would be on. But where they take an old house and they, they just tear it all up and rebuild it from, from, from scratch. You know, tear out the, the flooring, the carpet, uh, tear down walls and put a new roof and new shrubbery, everything, and just make it look brand new. It's a renovation process from, from the ground up sometimes. Okay. That's exactly what needs to take place in the hearts and minds of people in, in everywhere. It starts with me, but everywhere. Everywhere. The renewing, this is what Paul means when he says, be renewed in your mind. It's a renovation. Take out the junk. Take out the, the, the things that don't matter. The, the, the world is constantly putting thoughts in our minds that do not need to be there. We've got to clear those out and start afresh. Start afresh. Let the Word of God direct how we think. Renovation. So put your mind uh, in gear. And then this statement that helps us to live out the doctrine of Jesus. Put your shoulder to the wheel. Put your shoulder to the wheel. Some things are real easy to live. We pass communion. Just takes the motion of our fingers or our wrist at most. Other things are more of a medium weight. We can lift those with our arms. There are some things that we lift that takes almost the entire body. It takes more effort. It takes it takes there's more weight to it. I believe that this little phrase, put your shoulder to the wheel refers uh, to a situation that, that you may have been in before. I know Ken probably has. You, you ever had to push a car? You ever had to push a car off the side of the road? It just happens. I mean, it, it just happens. And it, you, you, if you're going to push a car, then you've got to put your entire body into it. I remember when I was little... The couple times that we would have our roof replaced, I was just amazed at the fellows that come to roof our house. It's it just amazing. Up the up the ladder they would go with with these shingles on their shoulders, and and the way with it they would go just as if it was it was nothing because it was nothing to them. They were so they were so strong uh, to do it. 
or put your shoulder uh, to the wheel. Living for Christ is an enormous task. If we take seriously the commission He gives us, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person, to every person, that is an enormous task. And it's going to take every fiber of our being. It's going to take everything that we have in order to obey the Lord uh, in, this, in this respect. Think about what it took for Jesus when they condemned him there in Pilate's Hall and they sent him out to the hill of Golgotha that they had him carry his own cross and he fell beneath the load. He could not bear it. What Jesus endured for us on the cross was unbearable, but he did it anyway. We must be willing to not only do the unpleasant task, but the, the task that take all the weight in the world. It's, it's going to take everything that we have to accomplish what the Lord would have us to accomplish in the short time that we have on this earth. We cannot hold back. We, cannot, we must leave it all in this life. We have no authority to, leave, to, to hold back any energy that we could expend for the Lord. We have no authority to do that whatsoever. The other day I was um, running by a coffee shop. I know that surprises you. But there's an older fellow in there. I'd seen him before. And he comes in and, and uh, he's, he's 80-something years old. His first name is, is Jim. And he's a big, big St. Louis Cardinals uh, fan from the way back. And so he was pronouncing as he was walking out the other day, there was, there was two young folks sitting at a table. And, and you, remember, uh, you remember Leo McKinney? Leo would just go up and speak to anybody. And this is what this guy does. He'd just, he'd just stop and talk to somebody. He'd say, he, he, so he looked at these two young folks who didn't know him from, from anybody. And he looked at them and he said, my wife and I have been married 60-something years this week. And one of the young ladies asked him, said, well, what is your secret? What is your secret? And he looked at her so puzzled. And that's just, this is how you ought to look at somebody who asks that. Okay. There's no secret. You just do it. You make the commitment in marriage, and then you just do it. That's why Jim stood there so puzzled. It's because he didn't know how to answer her, because obviously she didn't understand. There's not a secret to it, except... Just, just bearing the weight and, and making the commitment and growing in love uh, through the years and, and, and you just do it. You're just determined to do it. We've heard the same thing. What's the secret to church? What's the secret to, to, to living for Christ? What's the secret for, for the church? And, it's just, and whoever asks that ought to get the same blank stare. I get the same blank stare. It's commitment. You know, it's, it's the willingness, the determination to lift any load there is to lift and just go do it. Jim eventually said to the couple, well, we eat ice cream every night. And then he moved on. Put your shoulder uh, to the wheel. 
Another statement is put your back to the wall, and we don't really have to do that. Now, this phrase comes from the idea of someone realizing a very uh, serious situation, and they realize they have but one option, and that is to fight. The fight. And that describes Christian living. We don't put ourselves with our back against the wall. When we, when we come out of the waters of baptism, we are baptized into a fight. We are baptized into a war. Into a war. It's, it's a war of Satan, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's a war, whom he may devour. 1 Peter 2, same book, 1 Peter 2, 11. Satan uses our own lust and desires against us. These lust and desires war against the soul. War against the soul. It's a war. We are baptized into a war. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. He says to Timothy, I believe it's 1 Timothy 1, 18, to war the good warfare. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. From the time we come out of the baptistry, every aspect, every facet of our faith is going to be attacked by somebody or something in the world. We are charged to defend that faith. If we don't know that there is a war against Christians, then our ear has not been to the ground lately, right? Put your back against the wall, and we must get ready to defend ourselves. We must defend the existence of God. We must defend that the Bible is God's Word. We must defend the nature and the sacredness of the church. We must defend the way of God in worship. We must defend the family. We must defend marriage as it is spelled out and patterned for us in the New Testament. We must stand. It is a war. Our back is, is against the wall. We have no other choice uh, but to fight. And then put your feet to the fire. This is a statement of accountability, as you very well know. Put your feet uh, to the fire. We are accountable to God for every mistake, every sin that we make. We are accountable to God for every lack of good work that we might could have done. We are accountable to God for every word that we say or every word that we should have said. We are accountable to God. What makes us accountable to God? His word. The very word that will judge us on that last day, John 12, 48, is our standard now. And that makes us accountable to God. We are accountable for every soul that is within our reach. Hebrews 13, 17 says that we will give an account of those that have been in our midst, within our reach. We are accountable to God. And then finally, keep your eyes on the prize. I don't necessarily like the word prize. It is a prize. It is a reward. Heaven will be a reward for us. We're so weak. 
we have such an, an inclination to focus on what is it in it for me, I think the prize that we are seeking is simply the Lord Himself. The Lord Himself. The environment of heaven will be, is unspeakable. We can't even put words to it. No doubt. The joy of being there and serving the Lord with other Christians is going to be uh, beyond our imaginations. But our prize is simply wanting to be with the Lord. That's, what, that's how Paul describes it in Philippians 1, 20-23. He says, For me to, de- to depart is to be with Christ, which is very far better. It's to be with Christ. Be with Christ. That's why the apostle in Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the the shame that was there with it. He endured the cross, he endured the shame, now he is sitting on the right hand of God, and we want to be there with him. Bear Bryant would say, that he had some players who were good players. They would be in the right position. They would do the right things. But he said at the end of the day, they were simply good players. He said there were other players that he liked. He said these players had a nose for the, for the end zone. They had a nose for the end zone. They knew that the reason that they were in a position was to, was to get the job done, was to get to the end zone. There were some who would be in the right position and they would say the right things and they would do the right things and they would cheer in the right way, but they didn't have a nose for the end zone. It was left up to them. The team would never really score. Our, our focus has got to be heaven. Heaven. If we miss heaven, we've missed it all. We've missed everything the Lord has has prepared for us. Jesus says in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. Do you want to miss that? You can't miss that. And so we have to focus on that. Want nothing more than that. And settle for nothing less than heaven itself. Let us, as we live our lives, let us live out the doctrine of Jesus, who is God, our Savior. We can assist you this morning with any particular spiritual need. That's why we're here as the church, the family of God. We invite you to, not to us, not to me. We invite you to the Lord Jesus. He stands waiting. We would love to assist anyone this morning who has a need of being immersed in water for the remission of sins to get yourself started on that journey to heaven. We'd love to assist anyone. Whatever your need may be, won't you come home to the Lord right now as we stand, Brother Paul, as we stand. Wash away my sins.